most kids resent a dad who's constantly pushing them. Let's go. But not Rick Hoyt. We can do this. For years, Rick has been pushed, pulled, and carried by his dad, and he loves it. Here they come! That's because Rick, a wheelchair quadriplegic since birth, and his father, Dick, together have competed in over 65 marathons. So when you see Dick Hoyt pushing his son around, you're witnessing extraordinary devotion. Pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. Atlanta's number one radio stations, Swanky 93.3 and The Heat 94.6. Radio stations has you covered. From our studios to our newsroom at KLP Entertainment. Listen on all major audio platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audacity, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube and more. A few words for a successful life. Always ask why. Why? Tell the truth. All the time. Why? Write thank you notes. Eat right, sleep right. And exercise. If you don't like your job, change it. Why? Be creative every day. Take a fun trip. You don't always have to do things fast. These motivating thoughts from Randy Pausch's last lecture remind each of us to live our dreams. And I go now, my dog wants to play. Oh yeah, play with your dog. And with your kids. Motivation. Pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. Live from our newsrooms brings back our hit news network, SNN, with many news anchors like Arthur Brooks, Addison Hayden, and Beatrix Gemma. Brings you stories about the news worldwide. Tune in on Atlanta's number one stations, Swanky 93.3 and The Heat 94.6 radio stations. To get the latest news today, listen on all major audio platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audacity, Apple Podcasts. Stitcher Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our channel of KLP Entertainment. Reporting live from our newsroom, this is SNN. I'm Addison Hayden. Here's your business news breaking for April 27th. Republicans are increasingly taking on corporations they denounce as woke. The Florida governor is just the latest to find that it isn't easy. When Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida went to war against Disney over what he labels its woke corporate sensibility and its criticism of state policies, Tim Wildman was cheering from the sidelines. Mr. Wildman, the president of the American Family Association, a right-wing religious organization, has more experience in this area than most. In 1995, his organization, which is known for its opposition to LGBTQ rights, rallied a broad coalition of evangelical groups to boycott Disney after it extended family benefits to gay employees. But since then, Mr. Wildman has learned to temper his expectations. After an early wave of international media attention, the boycott receded from the headlines, and by the time Mr. Wildman officially pulled the plug on it a decade later, it had had little discernible impact on Disney's policies or revenues. It was very difficult to sustain for more than three or four years, he said. People move on. They lose interest. Things change. And some things stay the same. Almost 20 years later, Mr. 
DeSantis is trying to turn Americans against the Walt Disney Company, one of the most formidable superpowers of American popular culture and commerce. He has also joined the pile-on of another corporate cultural behemoth, Anheuser-Busch InBev, which incurred a wave of outrage on the right this month over a Bud Light marketing campaign promoting a transgender influencer. I'd rather be governed by with the people rather than woke companies, so I believe pushback is in order across the board, the governor said in a recent interview with Benny Johnson, a right-wing media personality. Coming as he prepares to run for president, Mr. DeSantis's moves are testing whether changes in Republican politics and in boardrooms have rewritten the rules for anti-corporate campaigns. American businesses are increasingly engaging in social debates, responding to consumer and employee demand. In the Republican Party, meanwhile, the party's Trumpier populist rhetorical turn and hardening position on gender politics have combined to make corporate America an appealing battlefield for culture warriors. But taking on Mickey Mouse remains a tricky business. As Mr. Wildman and others can attest, brands of the scale and cultural footprint of Disney have emerged from past boycotts without much of a scratch. And corporations that might have been leery of such fights a generation ago are now more likely to see them as inevitable, and in some cases even a source of market advantage. In Florida, Disney has proved a wily political foil for Mr. DeSantis. After the company criticized a Republican bill in the state legislature limiting schools' instruction on gender and sexuality last year, Mr. DeSantis tried to strip Disney of the unusual self-governance arrangement it has enjoyed for decades in the state. But his administration appeared to be outmaneuvered when Disney's representatives found a workaround. This month, the governor escalated the dispute by threatening a list of possible punishments. On Wednesday, after a board voted to void agreements that give the company control over expansion at its resort complex, Disney sued in federal court claiming a targeted campaign of government retaliation. Brian Griffin, Mr. DeSantis's press secretary, has described the company's moves as an attempt to subvert the will of the people of Florida. Disney, one of the largest employers in the state, has repeatedly described its actions as compliant with state law. Its chief executive, Robert A. Iger, has criticized Mr. DeSantis's actions as anti-business and anti-Florida. Polls suggest Mr. DeSantis's political success in the debate may hinge on whether he's viewed as a populist reigning in big business or a culture warrior. A Harvard-Harris poll this month found a majority of registered voters nationwide and a vast majority of Republicans siding with Mr. DeSantis in the showdown. The survey described Mr. DeSantis as attempting to limit Disney's autonomy and remove special tax status. But another poll, this one conducted this week by Reuters at Ipsos, found less than half of Republicans had a more favorable view of the governor because of his fight with Disney. And majorities of Democrats and Republicans said they were less likely to support a candidate who supported laws intended to punish companies for their positions on cultural issues. The episode has been viewed as a weakness by his prospective rivals in the 2024 presidential primary field in which polls show Mr. DeSantis has slipped. 
On his Truth Social platform, Donald J. Trump mocked Mr. DeSantis for being absolutely destroyed by Disney. Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, questioned whether Mr. DeSantis's heavy-handed use of state power against the company undermined his claims of conservatism. Where are we headed here now that, if you express disagreement in this country, the government is now going to punish you? Mr. Christie said at an event last week. In the campaign against Anheuser-Busch, a more conventional boycott without the political complications of government intervention, the backlash has had a clearer impact. In recent days, amid reports of tumbling sales, the company announced that the marketing executives responsible for the promotional partnership with the influencer, Dylan Mulvaney, were on leave. Other companies that have incurred the anger of consumers on the right and left, however, have generally found the ire to be short-lived. Nike was vilified by President Trump and others over its 2018 promotional campaign featuring the former N.F.L. Quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who had faced outrage on the right for kneeling during the national anthem in protest of police shootings of unarmed black people. Nike's stock fell 3% after the company released its first Kaepernick ad, but within weeks it had rebounded to a record high. Nike's campaign was a signal moment in the shifting politics of corporate America, which has long made common cause with the Republican Party on issues like taxes and regulation, but has been drawn into increasingly regular conflict with the party over social issues. In part this is because corporations have become more socially liberal in their own policies, reflecting broader trends in public opinion on many issues. When the Human Rights Campaign, a prominent LGBTQ rights organization, published its first corporate equality index in 2002, only 13 companies received the top score for LGBTQ friendliness. In 2022, 842 companies did. I think it's something that's important to their employees, to their customers and to their investors," said Eric Blome, the organization's senior director for programs and corporate advocacy. It's all interrelated. In the 2010s, when newly Republican-controlled state legislatures began aggressively pursuing legislation targeting LGBTQ rights, Corporations' new social politics came into direct conflict with their old Chamber of Commerce allegiances and often outweighed them. Companies like PayPal, Deutsche Bank, Disney and Walmart cancelled expansion plans, threatened boycotts and lobbied political leaders in several states over the new laws. The business community's shift accelerated after the police murder of George Floyd in 2020, which sent corporations, as varied as Citigroup, and McDonald's scrambling to signal their solidarity with the emerging wave of racial justice protests. Brands that have performed outreach to right-leaning Americans have been an exception rather than the rule, and they have been mostly smaller enterprises. But for Republican politicians like Mr. DeSantis, the party base's discontent with the new corporate value signaling has proved an opportunity. Last year, the communications firm Edelman found in its annual Trust Barometer survey that for the first time, a majority of Republican respondents, and more Republicans than Democrats, said they did not trust business. The Republican Party was all about promoting the virtues of capitalism, said Vivek Ramaswamy, an entrepreneur 
and Republican presidential candidate, who has centered a criticism of corporate America's social liberalism in his campaign. As recently as a few years ago, he said, campaigning against big business was an awkward fit for the party. Now, he said, we can understand what's happened a little better. Talks have escalated and progressed really well in the last 24 to 48 hours. Like you say, we expect a formal announcement in the next week, but there's a lot of work to be done for Pochettino and you'd expect he'd spend the rest of the season doing an audit before he formally takes charge in the summer. There's a lot of things to work on. You look at Chelsea and they've got such a bloated, expensive, underperforming squad. And I think the overarching thing for him will be to try and extract the best out of the resources he has, which he's proven he excels at throughout his managerial career, but also to ruthlessly trim down that squad. Anyone who doesn't meet his tactical demands or the standards he expects, they will be chopped. The other thing is a playing style. He has to give Chelsea an identity. They don't have it. And they need to know what they're working towards in possession, out of possession. Each player needs to know their role and function within the team. That will happen during the course of pre-season. You think about the high press, the overloads, how well he uses fullbacks for his offensive attacks, the quick transitions, all of those things he needs to give to that team. Uh, and I, th I think that's what Chelsea are craving more than anything, who they are, you know, beyond just this expensive assembly of the world's best young talent, really. The other thing is the conditioning of that squad. Pochettino football is very demanding. It's exacting. If you remember his Tottenham squad at their peak, they were the hardest runners in the league. Now, Frank Lampard recently said that the squad is not in good physical condition. So a lot of work needs to be done fitness-wise with his close core, the four staff members he will be bringing along with him to Stamford Bridge. Jesus Perez is very, very good at conditioning a squad. So all of those, I think, as a base, is what Pochettino will start working with. Sounds like a horrible preseason if you're a, a Chelsea player. Those who stay, if if he moves enough out, there might be a bit of a war chest, might be looking around. Should Spurs fans be worried about Harry Kane moving across London? Are you trying to cause the apocalypse? <laughs> I'm not causing anything, I'm asking questions. <laughs> um, listen, Maurizio Pochettino transformed Harry Kane from the fourth choice striker at Tottenham and helped him become a world-class goal-scoring record-breaking phenom. Their relationship stretches beyond football. They've, they're very close, they still keep in contact, and obviously Pochettino and Chelsea would love the guarantee of goals Harry Kane brings, but no. Tottenham insist Harry Kane is not for sale, especially not to Chelsea. And Harry Kane himself knows his legacy at Spurs will be severely tarnished if he moves across to Stamford Bridge. There's already a section of Tottenham fans who are so angry at Pochettino for being on the brink of becoming Chelsea manager. And if you look at it, you know, Pochettino didn't have the option of 
going to Spurs this time around. And it's so different because before and after Tottenham, Pochettino worked elsewhere. You know, he's not been associated with Spurs since 2019. Whereas Harry Kane is one of their own. He's got the choice to remain at Spurs. He could go to Manchester United. He could go to Bayern Munich. There, There's more for him to play with. And so, nah, if it looks like a non-starter and if it sounds like a non-starter, it probably is a non-starter. <laughs> I have never seen anything like what families are going through now. I don't know how they're going to cope. I don't know how they're going to react when there's no food in the fridge. I don't know what they're going to do when the children doesn't have breakfast going to school. You can very, very much say that the cost of living crisis has hit different parts of the country very, very unequally. Inflation has predominantly affected things which people with lower income spend more on today, things like energy and food. The increased price of basic products have made life very difficult for the lower income bracket or the lowest 20 to 40% of earners nationwide. This is Nick Destack. He is a single dad of three and lives in housing provided by the borough of Chelsea and Kensington. He relies entirely on universal credit for his income, which is paid out monthly and provided by the government for individuals who are out of work or living on a low income. I'm looking for part-time work. Because I take my two youngest and primary school, the earliest I could start if I have a job in that area is 9.30 and then I have to finish at 2.30 to collect them at 3.10, so that is the problem. In fact, I haven't come across any jobs yet that are just those tight hours. I don't have any family, so I have no one to help me, and the temporary work I'm applying for is mostly close to minimum wage, which is less than most of the childcare in this borough. For around a fifth of parents in the UK, childcare costs account for more than half of their household income. The UK is now one of the most expensive countries for childcare in the OECD. So, for those without a decent income, there is no chance to pay for childcare to be able to go and work. So, the universal credit, because I have three children, I get topped up, so it's just over a thousand a month. Which sounds quite a lot, but... It's in guys, because I have the gas and electricity. The gas, particularly when it's cold, is costing a lot. Now, what I do is I turn the gas on and off. In December, with gas and electricity prices through the roof, over 7 million were going without basics like food and heat. And 4.7 million were behind on their bills. Food is crazily expensive. For instance, the other day, we hadn't had ketchup for about a month. That Jules said, come on, let's have ketchup again. It's nice with the chips. The cheapest ketchup I could get was 4 50 This is where Dad's house has really helped. I gave to lunch there once a week. But also, they have a food bank that makes all the difference. And Billy, he was a single dad himself. He set up this charity 15 years ago. He really helps me because, you know, they've got three kids. So I haven't got any other help. You say it's a food bank. It's not just for single dads. It's for anyone in the community. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's fine. Thank you. So that's probably saving me £600 a month. So that enables me to stay solvent. 
but without that, well, our dark would suffer. We've got roughly between 60 and 70,000 families registered. We've got between 40 and 50 families a day coming to your dad's house. The demand for the work that we do went through the roof, especially due to the cost of living. And it's absolutely heartbreaking when you see our mum or a dad who is absolutely struggling when it comes to not being able to cook for their children. Almost 90% of independent food banks say they saw an increase in demand compared to last year and over 80% reported supporting a significant number of people needing help for the first time. We can't plan, and it's impossible because we do not get the financial donations that we did get, and every day is really difficult to maintain that level. Sometimes we have had to go into our reserves to use that to buy food and to provide small grants we struggle, and, and it's heartbreaking when you can't give to anyone, you know, so we'll go to the shops and we'll buy food, and we'll go to the bank and take money from the account so we can give that dad a little bit of cash that if you go and buy food, um, you can put £50 in the electric. When we can, I, it's, I can't sleep at night. 1,254 for everything from month. I'd take off at least that 254 for travel. I've got direct debits, um, which is 200. So you're left with 200 a week, okay? So take off 50 pounds a week for gas and electricity. So if you buy no clothes, no toiletry, no medical stuff, no emergencies, no luxuries, no birthday presents, you're left with £150 for food. And if you don't have access to a food bank, that has got to last. As I said before, if it wasn't for the help I received from Dad's house, it would be extremely difficult. And their diet would be affected. And Peter had said that he... Universal Credit increased around 10% in spring to help with inflation. Though this provided some relief, the food insecurity of the past year is why UK's leading charities such as the Trussell Trust are petitioning for an essentials guarantee, a way to avoid the increased poverty and help with basic needs that benefits couldn't cover for so many months. They say the cost of living crisis has exposed the erosion of UK's benefits system. So, I think what I'm hearing when I'm speaking to people is that there is support out there, but it could be utilized a lot better when you talk to food banks, people are really, really worried. I have asked people repeatedly, when do you think it's going to get better? And there's just this bleak silence. There's this kind of question mark. I'm incredibly grateful for and appreciative of what you do get help with in this country. What kind of helps keep you going? My children. Thank you.